Hi, everybody. I hope you're doing well. It is 12, 12, 10. And thank you so much for joining the Freedom Aid Radio Sunday show. Sorry, no show last week. I was uh, yelling at various attendees in Phoenix at uh, Ernie Hancock's 2010 Freedom Summit, which was most interesting and enjoyable, and I highly recommend it uh, in the future. Um, I've been invited back to Porkfest uh, to to have uh, a an interesting reverse debate. I'll sort of get get into that a little bit more uh, if I confirm that I can release the details with the planners, where I would be taking the devil's advocate position, and you can truly see how satanic my rhetorical skills can be. Uh, please remember to vote. Uh, if uh, if it's not the 15th of December 2010 yet, uh, at uh, com for Freedom Made Radio under Education and People's Choice and uh, Free Talk Live, uh, you can check them out. I think they're under Politics and News. And if you prefer School Sucks to Freedom Made Radio, uh, first of all, uh, give yourself a light spanking, just a light one. Uh, and second of all, be sure to vote for Brett Bernard's excellent School Sucks podcast under Education, which is a highly recommended show. So I've just just released uh, the multi-camera THX 3D Sonytron brain extravaganza of my speech at Libertopia, which uh, was, uh, I don't know, six or seven weeks ago. I'd really recommend it. I think I, uh, I took some real risks in that speech and just started off with some genuine stand-up. I actually did even more stand-up at, um, uh, at the Freedom, Freedom Summit. I'm hoping that's going to be uh, something that the audience is like, and I certainly enjoy doing it. So, uh, you know, libertarian slash anarchist stand-up, not exactly the easiest genre in the world to do, uh, not exactly as easy as, you know, airline food and men not asking for directions and things like that, but still – uh, uh, Steph Butt likes a challenge. So, um, please check out that video. If you can, I will create a shortcut for it, fdrurl.com forward slash Libertopia. Uh, or you can just go to the homepage of freedomainradio.com and there's a link to the video right there. So, um, a thank you for everybody who gave me the uh, mostly positive but somewhat critical reception to my debut on the Alex Jones show. Uh, I must say that um, I'm sure Alex has disagreements with me. I'm sure I have disagreements with him. But if I can reach people with philosophy uh, through any medium whatsoever, uh, I'm generally prone to doing that. Uh, and so I'm going to be back on his show in January. So uh, that's a that's a good reach. It's been a good bump to uh, to our conversation. Uh, we've met some. Uh, we've yeah, just had a lot of extra new hits uh, from people. And I'm sorry about the sound quality. There is a podcast where I, I recorded myself in a hotel room. I was already in Phoenix when the show came up. Uh, I have already re recorded myself. And uh, if someone can pop the number up, that would be great. But uh, it's a, it's a it's a much better video quality. We did have a lot of trouble with Skype. Uh, the phone system, even the phone system, I guess they're all going through the same routers these days. But um, yeah, w WikiLeaks, um, good. Uh, I've done uh, research into the sex scandal rape charges against Assange, which I'll be doing a video on uh, maybe later today. And last but not least, I'm going to stop the show just a few minutes early. And if anybody wants to stick around and brainstorm uh, the movie idea that uh, that I'm pitching, uh, I could use some help with it. I've run up against the limitations of my own creativity, so I want to tap into the Borg brain. So just let James know if you want to stick around for a little bit more. After that, well, I'll just briefly talk about 
the plot and the challenges that uh, that I'm having. Uh, be a graphics novel first and then a movie. And all of this is made possible. All of this is made possible by you delicious, lovely, tasty, bastable donators and supporters. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to do what I'm doing. I'm not uh, really paid for speeches, so uh, it is um, it is on uh, to some degree your dime that I'm going down. I hope, I hope, I hope that I do you proud. And if I don't, then please let me know any way that I can improve or anything that I can do to make your support and contribution to this philosophy conversation any more satisfying, any more positive. Uh, I am your willing, abject, and highly oiled slave. So just let me know any way that I can make this conversation uh, better for you. If you want more listener combos, just let me know. If you want more solo casts, let me know. I am extremely bendable to your desires. <laughs> and there's a t-shirt in the making. So I just wanted to really express uh, my sincere and serious appreciation for uh, you who make this truly wild and exciting ride uh, possible. And uh, and thank you, everyone, who's written me recently to say that the podcasts. Um, uh, seem to be getting better, which is good. Uh, I don't take that as a massive insult toward all of the prior podcasts, though it's tempting. It is tempting, but I decide not to do that. And thank you so much. Um, have has had some good listener convos uh, this last week, which I'll be releasing soon, as soon as they get a chance to review and let me know. So anyway, enough about Der Steffbottet Head. So let's get to you, the real meat of the conversation. My delicio listeners, I think we have someone on deck. Is that right, James? Yeah, just uh, feel free to speak up, Mr. Biffo. Hi, um, can you hear me? Mm-hmm. Hi, yes, uh, I'm... Well, I have uh, quite a bit of nervousness when bringing up this topic, but basically I'm trying to go through a Defu issue. And, uh, right. yeah, for the past three weeks, it's only been very recent that I've been very clear about my Defu, and I also posted on the board, but it didn't get much of a reception, so uh, would it help if I read the letter that I posted on the board to give a background to it all. Yeah, listen, can you just put the link in the, um, uh, you in the chat window at all, just because um, your sound is a little rough, so I'd rather read it from this end so people can hear it more clearly. The link, um, all I have in the URL is slash forums.aspx, so I'm not sure if you can go directly to that page. Uh, okay, uh, I, I don't know where the page is then, so why don't you just... Um, uh, why don't you just read it, and uh, we'll we'll hope it sounds all right. Okay, so you wrote, um, I guess, earlier this month, I have arrived at the conclusion that I absolutely want to defu for my family. Whenever I am contacted by my mother, I feel extreme annoyance and anger at her. I do not want to waste more time out of my life with this woman. I do my best to avoid her. I am sure that further discussion of my ch feelings in childhood will only lead to my predicted outcomes, that she will be aggressive and emotionally manipulative. My childhood was not a good one. My parents did not have a happy relationship. They constantly argued, and sometimes it came to blows. My father was a doctor who worked all day and drank all night at a bar. He would come home in the early hours of the morning sometimes. He took me to the bars and drove me back in his car, drunk. I idolized him because I've always felt a distinct hatred for my mother. At around age 12, he suffered a stroke and became permanently handicapped. He is now bedridden, experiences significant short-term memory loss, has a very bad temper, and behaves in a very abusive way to his caretakers. We went from a rich family to a poor one. It was an extremely stressful experience. I felt 
like I lost my father and was left with a mother who constantly nagged me and shouted at me when she lost her temper. I had to conform to her wishes after that. I was also very spoilt by my father. As a child, I was belligerent, demanding, and passive-aggressive. During that time, I was sent to a boarding school in Canada, allowed to feel the consequences of my actions for the first time in my life. I believe I have awakened. I have worked on my behavior and tried my best not to replay my abusive environment to friends and others. I feel more stable emotions and greater ability to feel joy. Looking back, I never realized the emotional horror I experienced as a child. I was surprised that after all these years of stress and trauma, I have not collapsed in a fit of depression and exhaustion. Uh, I lived in Hong Kong, now studying at the uh, University of Toronto. Uh, the Freedom Made Radio conversation exploded into my life about a year ago. I cannot say I am the same person as I was back then. So much has changed in the way I behave, the way I think. It has guided me through my last year of school, and the answer, which was so obvious from the start, is now becoming less doubtful. Now that I realize that my family is a burning house, Difu is flashing across my mind uh, every day. Should I keep going? Is there anything you wanted to correct so far? Uh, no. It's just the plan that comes afterwards that's different. And do you want to, to just tell, to give me the brief uh, version of the plan? Yeah, basically, um, well, what's on the board is not my plan now. I'm planning to stay around in Toronto and maybe work over summers and take a few student loans in order to achieve financial independence. And, um, yeah, that's basically my plan so far. All the practical details have been worked out and all that. Right, right. And, uh, well, basically, the reason I called in is um, I want to discuss my mother more because uh, I'm, I'm very up for this Gifu thing, though I'm not sure, I'm not absolutely certain now. I can't really tell it's because I haven't found what exactly is it about my mother that gets me so angry. So um, I'm happy when she calls me and I'm scared of the practicalities of the matter as well. Right. Right. Okay. Well, how can I help? Um, I don't really know how to approach this. Like, I believe... Uh, I believe in the past, my mother was much more abusive to me now, but now I can't really tell. Like, she tells me that uh, she gives me much more freedom than most other people. I rarely ever talk to her nowadays, but I still feel very much a rage when she calls me. And I don't really know where that comes from. Yeah. Go on. Whenever she calls me, she sometimes nags me to do things, but it's... It's very much disproportionate to how my emotional reaction is. She calls me, she asks me to handle this errand or that errand, and it's not much of a big deal. But then I feel enraged inside, like, um, I don't know, I feel hatred inside my mind. And it feels very destructive towards me. And I don't really see that playing, that playing out in my personal life. I just really have no idea where it came from. You don't know where the hatred you feel now comes from? Um, it's hard to identify. Like when I've talked to a lot of friends about this Difu issue. And I've, they've asked me, so why would you like the Difu from your family? And I've told them, well, um, my mother hit me in the head a few times when I was a child. And she had a very bad relationship with my father. But that was about 
all that I can remember that, um, yeah, was really that hateful. And now she behaves in a much better way, but I still feel rage. Right, right. And uh, where would you like to uh, where would you like to start? Um, I'd like to start with I like to start with when my father got the stroke. Like he got the stroke, and then basically she was the primary caretaker then, and I never had a father to run to because in the past I would be with my mother. She would nag me, and I would get very annoyed, or she'd tell me to do something. And maybe she'd shout at me sometimes, but then my father would come back. And, well, when he was gone, I was basically exposed to my mother all the time. And she became much less much less uh, shouty and aggressive towards me at some point. I think it's because I grew, grew up. But, um, yeah, I when the thing is, when I want to bring all these Thifu issues up to her, as I have in the past about hitting me in the past or uh, shouting at me in the past, I feel that she denies me. So when I go for the final conversation, if it is in fact the final conversation, I'm wondering what I should really bring up to talk to her about, to clarify with her. I'm just really not sure what to do. All right. Um, have you uh, have you you've, you've had so you you've had some conversations about issues you have with the family you've had some of those conversations already right yes and it's uh, safe to say that it, it has not gone very well is that right it's um well you hear this in the listener conversation the listener talks to the parents and the parents says we did our best or oh it wasn't popular for people to live with each other before they got married and get to know each other back then or um they say those sorts of things. And I just, I feel like there's an enormous cloud that I can't pin them down on, like enormous fogging that's going on. And I can't really express it clearly to my friends when I try and explain to them what's gone wrong or when I try to explain to my mother what's gone wrong. You Okay, okay. And so it hasn't gone very well in terms of having these conversations before. Is that right? Yeah, yes. All right. And um, you, do you have uh, – you, so you were more certain at some point and you're less certain now about, um, uh, about having the conversation versus not having the conversation and separating. Is that right? Um, basically, yes. Um, and has, has anything – sorry, go ahead. I'm, I'm feeling pretty sure about defu. So, like I would like to defu from my family. I don't want to see them again. But then there's a lot of emotional anxiety that comes out of it. Yeah, well, I, I completely understand that. Um, yeah, and also the practicalities after that. I've already heard a few podcasts that has encouraged me, but the main thing is that final conversation, I wouldn't really know what to do and when to do it. I've, I go back this Christmas and I go back next summer and in the intervening time, I'll also be attending a term at the University of Toronto. But basically, those are my opportunities to talk to her. And I plan to talk to her in the summer, not in the coming Christmas holidays. But I don't know if that should come about quicker or... Uh, yes. Right, right, right. 
So, so it's, it's a tough call. It's a tough call. Um, I think you know, these are all just my opinions, right? Um, so the f- the first thing that I would say is that you really should have the conversation until you have some significant amount of certainty. Right. I mean, I think I think that's really uh, really important. Until you have some significant certainty, I think it's very important to continue to have conversations with people. Does that you, you've heard me say that before, right? Yeah. Well, I think I feel emotionally certain about it, but then when I talk to it about other people, like I come out of these conversations, I'm pretty certain. I listen to your podcast, and it confirms my conclusions. When I talk to friends, though, and I try and say this is why. I'm leaving this family or this issue is why I'm not getting along with my mother or my father. And it doesn't, it just doesn't seem to ring with me as much when I think it as when I try and express it to other people. Well, and do you know why that is? Um, I think it uh, might be some unprocessed issues, some things that I haven't looked at. No, it's not you. Um, it's not you. It's, could it be my friends? Yeah, yeah, right. This is this is what I'm going to tell you. There is a, an insane. There is an insane amount of propaganda about the family, and it is incredibly primitive people's perceptions of the family these days. And I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. So. If you had been in a 20-year marriage where you had experienced this kind of abuse, and these days you went to somebody reasonably enlightened, somebody who understood some basic issues of feminism and so on, and you said, you know, uh, you know, my... I had, uh, I had, uh, I've had all of these these problems and, and yelled at and I've been hit a few times and I don't like it and it's unpleasant and I don't feel visible and blah, 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 right? I'm thinking of leaving my husband. Well, most people would say, hey, I can understand that, right? Yeah. And even more so if you had not chosen to marry your husband in the first place, right? If you'd, if you'd been assigned to him by some cultural imperative or some religious ceremony or something. Like if you'd been married after him at the age of 10 and he treated you the way that your family, your parents treat you, and you said, well, I'm thinking of leaving this marriage, most people would say, I mean, they hopefully wouldn't say you should or you shouldn't, but they'd say, geez, I can totally understand that, right? Yeah. Now, that's pretty, that's pretty new. That's, that's pretty modern. I mean, in the past, really up until the post-war period in many ways, it's, it's very new. In the past, divorce was virtually unthinkable. Right for a woman to separate from an abusive husband was virtually unthinkable. Right, and then feminists came along and said, "No, no, no, no. <laughs> you know, like uh, in order to have quality marriages, they have to be voluntary. Right? That the only the only thing that the only thing that produces quality in this world is voluntarism." And in a lot of places in the world, as someone mentioned in the chat room, it's still roundly condemned. 
in like divorce, divorcing your husband. I mean, it's I mean, you think, think, just try discussing it in Afghanistan. It's unthinkable. And I come from Hong Kong, so there's a lot of that Chinese family mythology that still hangs about mm. most people's minds. Oh yeah, I remember. Strong. I remember having a um, yeah, I, yeah. And Catholics, you still need permission from the Pope for Christ's sake. And no, I I remember um, talking to a Chinese fellow a couple of years ago on this show, and uh, he had enormous problems even even examining intellectually the question of volunteerism within the family. I mean, it's unthinkable. And so I just want to, want to put this in perspective. I, I think it's really, really important to understand, uh, to understand this, uh, this situation, wh- where you are relative to, uh, to other people. Uh, this is really important. It is extraordinarily uh, – trying to think of the best way. It is, it is still unthinkable for most people to apply the concept of voluntarism to the family. Right. In the same way that it was unthinkable, I mean, in the in the feudal times, it was unthinkable to think of voluntarism in terms of your relationship to your feudal lord. Like if you were being beaten by your feudal lord and you said, well, I don't really want to be his feudal serf anymore. People would say, well, that's unthinkable. You have to. God has placed him over us and blah, 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 blah. Right. And the same thing was true in the Middle Ages when it came to – I know we sound, it sounds abstract, but I really want to put this in perspective for you, right? Economic voluntarism in the Middle Ages was unthinkable. It was unthinkable. You had to be part of a guild. You had to apprentice for seven years. You couldn't advertise. You couldn't even sneeze when somebody was walking past your stall at a medieval fair because then someone would say, bless you, and that was considered unfair competition because you'd be entering into a conversation with a potential customer, right? So, so voluntarism – in human relationships is extremely new. It's extremely new, and it's only been applied to a few select areas. It's been applied to adult marriages. It's been applied to your job to a large to some degree, right? Like if you want to works a lot of places you still have to join a union and that's not voluntary and it's enforced and right but, but still you are allowed some areas of voluntary interactions but for the rest of it ah forget about it it doesn't happen right you're not allowed voluntarism in your tax in your taxes in any of the thousands of laws that are clusterfucking up the planet you're not allowed voluntarism in your nationalism, you're not allowed voluntarism in travel. You can't just go work somewhere. You have to have all the right papers, right? You're not even allowed voluntarism to to get on a plane, right? So if you look at and and this is, I mean, this is just so. There's a few areas where voluntarism is somewhat allowed in a relatively small number of countries in the world. So if you look at the world as a whole, and you look at voluntarism versus involuntarism, voluntarism is like looking up at the night sky. Voluntarism is the stars, but the space between is enforced associations, either culturally or violently enforced. So when you take the principles 
of voluntarism, which a lot of people would accept. Not everyone, but a lot of people would say, look, to, to, to a woman, look, if uh, a, a feminist go, go further than I would in many ways, but they, they say, look, if you're in an abusive relationship, it's a deal breaker. You must get out. You must get out. I mean, Dr. Phil has tens of millions of watchers. And if you ever sit down and watch one of his shows, and, you know, it can be a bit of a teeth-gritting experience, but if you ever sit down and watch one of his shows where a woman is being abused, he will actively tell her to get out, that it is a deal-breaker. Just not what the kids are. I'm sorry? You said before that Dr. Phil, he does all that is just that he doesn't do with the kids. Oh, yeah, no, of course. I mean, <laughs> adult, uh, um, uh, adult kids don't get that same advice. Of course not, because the majority of his listeners are, um, uh, are adults and parents themselves. So they don't want that. He don't want that message to go across. And there's also a very practical aspect that society does not want people to separate from their parents, no matter how abusive the, rela- the relationship is. And why do you think that is? It exposes what the parents did. Well, I think that's true, but um, in, in, in very practical terms, who the hell is going to take care of the parents when they get old? True. Right, so siblings will often, right, circle the wagons and make sure that no sibling gets away because nobody wants to be stuck with the abusive jerks when they get old, right? I think I'm rather lucky that I'm an only child in this situation then. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But the, so the, there is... So when you go out into the world and you start talking about voluntarism in terms of the family, it is like going to the Middle Ages and talking about voluntarism in terms of the feudal lord. People are like, what? That makes no sense. That, that's not possible. You, you're wrong. And there's a huge amount of propaganda out about how you have to rise above, you have to be bigger than, you have to forgive, you have to understand that they did the best they could with the knowledge they had during a difficult time, right? There's a huge amount of propaganda out there. And I'll tell you this, my friend, the amount of propaganda is directly proportional to the amount of abuse in homes. Let me say this again, it's very important to understand. The amount of propaganda about the family is directly proportional to the amount of abuse that is going on. I don't need propaganda to keep my family together. I don't need a bunch of people convincing my wife to come back to me, though she's desperate to leave me. I don't need a whole bunch of propaganda that I can club my wife and child over with and say, but I'm your husband and I'm your father. And you owe me respect, and you owe me allegiance, and you owe me time, and you owe me resources because I am your father. I don't need any appeal to those things because my wife loves me, and my daughter really, really, really enjoys my company. Does that make sense? So if you have a lot of bad parents out there, and I damn well think that there are a lot of bad parents out there. If you have a lot of bad parents out there, you would completely and totally expect for them to substitute cultural and emotional pressure for personal enjoyment and happiness 
within the relationship. And that is very widespread. So the moment you start talking about voluntarism in the family with the average non-philosophical person, you instantly slip into a language that is incredibly threatening to them, that is in consciously entirely confusing to them, and all you do is you fire up the propaganda shouting in their own mind. And in order to not examine the voluntarism or lack thereof, or happiness or lack thereof, in their own familial relationships, it's like a programmed computer. Input, output. Propaganda is all about programming. It is the opposite of thinking. Right, So you say to someone, taxes should be voluntary, and they say, no, there's a social contract. It's not because they've thought about anything, and you ask them to define what that contract is. They have no clue. It's just input-output. They are computers. They are machines. They are robots. They can't think. All that happens is they hear a pattern of words come in, and propaganda vomits out a series of words in response without any thought or reflection or morality or philosophy or wisdom or empathy or understanding or anything. So you say, I'm thinking of leaving my abusive family, and people will immediately say, no, you shouldn't. No, you'll regret it. No, you should rise above it. No, you should forgive them. No, you don't have kids. You don't understand how difficult it is. No, no, no. Like, it's just... You know, I mean, just by the by, I mean, it's it's so wearying and boring to hear all of this garbage that goes on, which oh, passes yeah. the human communication, right? But I've heard that so much. Yeah. Oh, it's it, you're not dealing with any kind of thinking or present consciousnesses. You're dealing with tape recorders. You're dealing with. <laughs> do you know what it is? You ever have, have? This is exactly what it's like. You ever call up tech support and you get those automated voice things? Yeah. You know that you're not talking to a human being, that you're talking to a pre-programmed <laughs> voice box with a set number of responses and no capacity to dynamically process whatever you're saying, right? Oh, yeah. But this, My this parents is what, hit me, press one. Yeah, your parents hit you. Oh, that's a shame, but things were different back then. <laughs> you know? Uh, oh, that's a shame, that's exactly but, but I'm sure that they were better than their parents. Right. Oh, that's a shame, but, you know, it's very important that you take the high road and rise above it. Oh, that's a shame, but forgiveness is a virtue. Oh, that's a shame, but they treat you better now, don't they? Oh, that's a shame, but, 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 right? Yeah. There's no thought that's going on. It's just like, it's it's like when you, you say we shouldn't, you know, governments are immoral and we shouldn't have them, and people automatically say, well, then corporations would just take us over. Well, we just have you know, wars in the streets. Well, there'd be no roads. Well, it's not because they've thought things through. It's just a, you know, it's just an, an objection robot <laughs> that sits in their brain yeah. like a ninja and just blocks everything, you know. <laughs> Here, I'm going to use some culturally specific <laughs> metaphors. Mm -hmm. Not really. <laughs> Ninjas are Japanese. I know, I know. Anyway, <laughs> but... Um, but, but this is what you're dealing with. You're dealing with propaganda robots. And this is not true with everything. And if you talk to some of your friends about the music they love, they probably have some very interesting in, or literature that they love or movies or anything, right? They probably have some stuff that, that is thought. But when it comes to core values in society, you are not dealing with thinking, reasoning human beings. You are dealing with automatic messaging systems. 
I would no more go to the average person for advice on philosophical, moral, or personal issues than I would go to the average person, give him a set of pliers and say, my tooth is a little tender. Go for it. So you have to be careful about who you talk to. This is why I say to people who are contemplating this, please, please, please talk to a therapist who is experienced in this kind of stuff. Because you will, in the same way that I say, look, if someone calls me up and says, my tooth hurts, I say, well, it could be this, it could be that. When I had it, it was like this, but I can't tell you for sure. But for heaven's sake, go to a dentist, right? Go to a specialist. Go to somebody who knows what the hell they're talking about. Because the average person in society has no clue about philosophy, except to know that it threatens their <laughs> their robot scaffolding, right? They don't know what they're talking about. They have no expertise. It's like going to your average bum on the street and demanding an explanation about quantum physics. They can't... It's asking them the impossible. Although, I mean, it's... Philosophy is not a series of knowledge in particular. It's it's just a series of... <laughs> let me <laughs> explain this. Um, we are born with sight, and what happens is people put all this shit on our eyelids and crust it over. They put, like, <laughs> clams and, uh, and suction cups and those toilet bowl cleaners. They put all this crap on our eyesight. Philosophy is just about pulling that shit off to get back to our natural vision, right? I mean, learning quantum physics is a big productive positive enterprise. You have to spend a lot of time. It's not intuitive. Philosophy is something we all completely get, right? You don't need a lot of propaganda to not understand quantum physics, right? It's hard to, you hard to learn. You just have to learn. But when it comes to philosophy, we all have completely natural and universal values. My daughter's too, and is a better philosopher than most of the people I've ever met outside of this conversation. Uh, she understands universals. She understands role reversals. She understands empathy. She understands curiosity. Uh, she understands um, uh, impacts of actions on others. Uh, she understands that any rule that I give to her has to also apply to me. And she's not even two. Uh, she's close. I should be two on the 19th. But So she she sees, right? We just It's just about peeling layers of bullshit off our eyeballs so that we can see again like we used to. That's really all philosophy is, but... Anyway, I, I know that's a long speech, but I really wanted to put this in some kind of perspective for you so that it's entirely predictable that when you were looking at philosophical values of abuse and voluntarism and personal pleasure and no unchosen positive obligations, a family is an unchosen obligation because you did not choose to be born there. Children are a chosen obligation. Because you choose to have children. You do not choose to be born, and you do not choose your parents, which means there are no, there are no unchosen obligations. Children have no responsibility to their parents at all. My daughter has no responsibilities towards me at all. She has no responsibility to obey me. She has no responsibility to do what I prefer. She has no responsibility to make me happy at all. Not a single one. She didn't choose to be here, and she sure as hell didn't choose me as a father. And so when you begin to apply that logic, and, and it's, a, it's a lesser logic than women being allowed to leave abusive or sometimes even being encouraged to leave, or even more strongly by professionals being instructed to leave abusive relationships, 
well, women chose to get married to their husband. Children didn't choose their parents. So why is it we should grant greater voluntarism to those who chose to be in relationships to, rather than to those whose relationships are involuntary? Well, of course, the involuntary relationship we also have is citizen to government, and we sure as hell don't want people questioning that. Right? That doesn't help the ruling class at all. But just think of voluntarism in terms of children and education, right? Did you get to choose your school? Did you get to choose your classes or your subjects or your teachers? Of course not. All that shit is just inflicted on you. So applying the question of voluntarism to children and to the adult children of parents is really, really, really unsettling to people. So it's completely understandable, and I would say entirely predictable, which is not to say you should have been able to predict it because we're all stuck in this, in this matrix to some degree or another, but that you would feel some certainty about your situation when you looked at it philosophically, but then when you started to lean upon social approval and understanding, your clarity dissipated. That's what, that's what people do. Well, I think I'm... I was pretty encouraged by the first few friends I spoke to. They all understood and they and some of them who didn't quite understand said, Yeah, you would do that. I could understand perfectly well why you would do that. I wouldn't do that, but go ahead, I support you. But there was this friend who I had a conversation with and I don't think we're friends anymore. But basically that conversation we talked I talked about my family and she started going like, um, well, uh, same things happened to me in my childhood, but I don't feel unhappy about it now. If you're happy about it, you shouldn't be food from a child. It's not abuse if you don't feel it. Or it, it was that conversation on that I started having doubts, but I think I predicted well, sorry, it. Because l- at that time, let yes. me go back, because didn't your other friends say, I wouldn't feel that way? Yes. I'm not so certain about those friends. Like some friends completely understand and want to defood their own families as well. There are some friends who are like, who ask me about the issue, who are curious about it. And at the end they say, I support you. You should go defood from your family. I certainly couldn't see that happening in my case. Or I guess I don't have the guts to do it in my case, which I guess is a bit more honest. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, well, two more quick things. Like, um, I've been trying to find a therapist, and I've been going to the people who have been around in residence, the counselors around in residence, and they haven't been much help. They just listen and all that. And uh, I don't think you can get a therapist in Canada for free, right? It's not part of... Like, I heard your you, wife you can, does... Look, you, you can get a psychiatrist for free, if I understand it rightly, but I think you can get someone through your school. Okay. Yeah, there are some things to do with that. I think I'll look that up. Um, and also, finally, um, I feel a certain amount of guilt because I haven't donated. And I would like to donate, but I don't have a credit card to donate online. Is there some way, like, since now I'm in Canada, that I could somehow give money to you directly? Oh, yeah. I mean, if you want, you can just, just mail me something. That's fine. Um, but, uh, you know, first and foremost, don't worry about donating. And I appreciate everything that you're saying. Um, it, you know, don't worry about donating. Um, but what, what you should be concerned about is making sure that you get um, that you get to the therapist. They're much more important than donating. I certainly will. Yeah, back. like do that first. And then, you know, maybe then think about 
uh, donating. But uh, but don't uh, you know? I mean, I appreciate that. I mean, if you want to hand the show URL out to other people, or talk, you know, that's well, fine. You know, if you feel comfortable doing that, that's fine. But I was, I was thinking like now and then. I actually see relatives around this area, and that's another thing with the food circle. They're out in Toronto as well, and they sometimes drop a lot of money on me. And I was thinking the next time they drop a lot of money on you, I might just as well hand over that money to you. Well, again, uh, and I look, I appreciate that, and I'm not going to reject your wonderfully kind generosity. But uh, if I remember what it's like being a student, um, it's 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 hard going. Particularly if you're thinking of taking a break from your family, then it's hard going. So you might want to hang on to that uh, money and, uh, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, if, if at the end of your education you have a pile left over, you can give me some portion of it if you like. But uh, I would really, really suggest uh, making sure that your bases are covered for your education first and foremost because it can be tough uh, going it alone. Okay. All right. Thank but you. Not to say, but I really appreciate – I really, really do appreciate the sentiment, but um, – uh, I would I would much rather get donations knowing that it wasn't going to be harming uh, uh, any kind of interest of yours, if that makes sense. So, well, thanks for that, Steph. It, it's helped me clarify, and I'll have to take that away and talk to some other people about it. Yeah, and talk talk to your student union. Uh, there may be, uh, I mean, lots of students uh, they they need services when they're in school because of stress or X, Y, and Z. So. Uh, I would uh, definitely talk to people in your student union and ask them about that kind of stuff, uh, whether you can get uh, free or certainly subsidized uh, a counseling. I think that that does work uh, when you're in school, but I mean, I was in school a long time ago. Maybe it's changed, but that would be my suggestion. All right. Thanks, Steph, and uh, keep, up, keep up the great work. Thank you, and um, my very, very best wishes, uh, and I, I hope that it works out for you either way. I know that it will, but I hope that it works out sooner rather than later. Bye, Steph. All right. Take care, man. Best of luck. All right. Room has opened up. Hello. Oh, hi. Is this morning? Yes. Uh, uh, hello. Um, uh, I just recently uh, joined your website. So I'm just a first-time listener. Ah. Well, uh, welcome. Yeah, well, okay. Well, I've been uh, watching some of your videos uh, on YouTube. So I think, yeah, uh, they were pretty convincing. So uh, anyway, my question would be, um, right now, uh, I'm 18-year-old right now in high school. I'm trying to figure out like I'm kind of dependent on the government I'm trying to figure out a way to you know be independent is there any way you can help me with that in what way are you dependent oh um well I'm kind of part of that dependent class that you talk about you know the welfare system in what way uh as in like you know food and shelter all the basics Oh, so you mean you're receiving welfare checks for that sort of stuff? Yes. Well, not me exact, exactly, but mothers. Your mother is. Okay, so your mother's on welfare and you're concerned about uh, dependence upon the state? Well, yeah, actually, that's been like about, I've been concerned about two years exactly, but I couldn't figure out how to, you know, leave the system. So 
was hoping you could help me, like, have, give me some options. Well, um, there are uh, really only three, uh, three things that you have to do to, to get out of poverty. And this is, uh, this is not just my opinion. This is, like, pretty, pretty well proven scientifically, right? There are three things uh, that you need to do. The first is that you need to uh, finish high school. Okay. Okay. So I just yeah, you don't have to tell me what your status is, but this is uh, you know, this is what you this is what you need to do. You need to finish high school. Uh, the second thing that you need to do if you want to uh, escape uh, poverty is you need to not uh, not have a baby outside of marriage. Yeah, I'm pretty clear on that part. Okay, good. <laughs> two, two, we roughly two for two. Good, 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 good. Okay, now the the third thing that you need to do is you need to stay for about a year at your first job. Well, and, and the it trouble is finding it one first. So look, I understand that. Look, I understand that. But but I, I'm okay. saying th- th- this is not like. Easy, but this is what needs to be done in, in order for you to to get out of um, uh, to get out of your situation. All right. All right. Now, um, uh, so those things we understand, and, and this is again, this isn't just my opinion. This is pretty well established um, uh, sociologically. So, um, so the only thing that you need is a is a job, right? Yes. And of course, the question is, <laughs> how the hell do I get that right? Yeah, well, minimum wage isn't helping either. So, what do you but mean? I doubt they would listen. Like, I would, like, I would suggest they would abolish it, but I don't think anyone would listen to me. Oh yeah, me well, crazy trust something. me, they don't listen to me either. I mean, my uh, "Why You Were Unemployed" part one got me significant amounts of rage from people because um, like, I understand I, the destructiveness of minimum wage and regulations, all that. Like, right, right, right. Uh, yeah. So, go ahead. Right. Uh, so. Um, what do you like to do? Oh, as a career? Uh, yeah, not even as a career, but what do you like to do um, just outside of a career? Hmm. I haven't thought about it much. Uh, I've been looking at, just career-wise, I've been looking at let's see, maybe engineering or something of that sort. So engineering and stuff? Something, yeah, or in finance. Anything that's, you know... Can get me a decent living, and that's you know wanted in uh, in the marketplace that's demanded. Right, right, right. Well, I think those are those are good things to to aim for. Of course, they are going to require some higher education, which I'm sure is uh, is entirely fine. You know, if you listen to this conversation, I simply assume that you're just really smart. I mean, just and also because you're younger, I assume that you're smarter than me, just because genetically that's uh, that's the way that things go. So. Um, uh, so you will be able to manage all of that stuff. I guess the question is, uh, you know, sort of how how are you going to get get into those things, right? Yeah. Well, as for an education, you know, uh, there's some problems of you know the higher education higher education system with all these student loans and uh, graduates can't find work, and eighty five percent of them moving back with their parents and all that. All the news, like uh, I've lost a lot of you know trust in that system, see if it can help me or not. Oh, listen, I completely understand that. I mean, when I graduated, uh, it was the middle of a, just a horrendous recession. And uh, I, I couldn't even get a job as a waiter. I mean, I got just crazy bad jobs, like 
weeding gardens and <laughs> I took some old lady around because her family was busy and she'd come to visit. I took her to like the zoo and, you know, I mean, that was my, that was, that was my job, uh, back in the day. So I completely understand that, um, that stuff doesn't last forever. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure that we're going to get back to that same kind of stuff that we had before, but it's not going to, uh, uh it's not going to last forever, that stuff. And, uh, so by the time you graduate in a couple of years, it may not be well, the same. I'll be graduating, uh, this year actually <laughs> from my last year in high school. Oh, high school. Right, right. Yes. And, so, um, so, you know, if you go and get a couple of years degree, then you're looking at, you know, 2014 or 2015 and the uh, situation could well be different at that point, right? Mm, depends because, uh, I've been listening to like other economists, like from the Mrs. Institute and, you know, like Peter Schiff, like they, they're not very optimistic in, of the economy. And you in the States, is that right? Yes. Britain, well, then, but then you leave the States, Right. Yeah, that, well, that was the problem: is finding how to leave and. Have well, no, no, no. Look, look, you're you're uh, you, you are putting up way too many obstacles, right? I mean, it's it's the journey of a thousand miles is a single step, right? So, the, the, you want my advice? Oh. This is my advice, right? So, you figure out what it is that you want to do, and then figure out the steps that you need to achieve it. Now, is that does that mean that you're going to be certain about it and it's going to work out for the rest of your life? I strongly doubt it. Right. So uh, I originally started taking an English degree and then I went to the National Theater School and then I took a history degree and then I did a master's and then I went into software and then I started writing novels and then I did podcasting. Right. So it may change a lot. But the education helps in general, in general. Right. Because, I mean, there's some stuff you simply can't do. You can't be an engineer without you can be a software. I guess you can be a computer programmer without a degree. And if you like that kind of stuff, then you can take that approach. But if you're going to say, well, I don't know what the economy is going to be like in five years, and I don't know exactly how I'm going to leave the United States, then you're trying to plan your life half a decade down the road. That is never going to work. You simply cannot plan your life half a decade down the road. Because who knows? Who knows? There may have been some massive change in the system. I mean, my, my prediction is that the system is going to collapse, and we're going to be a hell of a lot freer afterwards. But that's my prediction. I think it's going to be a hell of a lot better after uh, after the uh, the reevaluation of the currency. I mean, I, I won't get into historical examples. I mean, I, I just did those at um, uh, at the Freedom Summit, and the, those will be online. But what what instead of surrendering your choices to the whirlwind of what if? You just have to plod forward. It's like you're in a snowstorm. You just have to keep moving, even if you've lost your bearings. And so I try, I try myself to live as though I'm free. Because if you don't, then you've already lost your freedom. So if you say, well, I want to be an engineer, but I don't know if there are going to be any jobs, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to leave the U.S., then you're allowing the state to take away your freedom to pursue engineering. I guarantee you, somewhere in the world, they will need an engineer in five years. I guarantee you. It may be in China. We may all end up living in China because it's going to be the most free country or India. Right? The, the Chinese government right. already owns significantly less of the national economy than the British government does. You are m far more free to be an entrepreneur in China than you are in England or the United States. So maybe that's where we all move to and we set up a <laughs> FDR TP city in, in, outside of Beijing. I don't know, right? But the thing is that there will be somebody who needs an engineer 
in five years. I guarantee that. And so given that you know that, you can pursue engineering knowing that you may not step out of the graduation hall and into the waiting arms of an eager employer, but somebody's going to need your skill set somewhere in the world. Plus, you speak English, which is a very good thing uh, in the economy. That's great. So, well... Oh, if you, uh, always... are you in the chat? Sorry, are you in the chat room at the moment? Oh, no, I'm here. No. No, sorry, are you in the chat room on the Freedom Aid Radio website? Just because somebody has has some suggestions for you. Uh, or oh, if yes. you want, uh, you know, Tim, if you want to jump in the call, you're welcome to, to give him suggestions directly if you think it would be helpful to others as well. Oh, he, he can, he's, he's young he too, can. so he may, be, uh, he may have even more relevant things to say than some guy in his 40s. <laughs> well, um, I'm glad to hear it if he wants to. Yeah, let's well, just see. Available. I, but sorry, well, usually... Ahead. Yeah, usually I tend to uh, overthink things for some. Sometimes I don't know why. It's just uh, just a problem I have with myself because I tend to look in the long term rather than the short term. So sometimes I can't, you know, uh, follow through with the, any plans because they always keep changing over and over. Right, and that's because you are trying to um, you're trying to sail your ship now by how the wind is going to be three days from now. And you can't do that. You understand? You have to sail with knowledge of a goal, but you have to sail with the winds as they are now. You have to, because nobody knows what the world is going to look like five years from now. It could be a lot worse. It could be a lot better. It sure as hell isn't going to be the same. But there will always be a need for intelligent, skilled people in the world. And accumulating human capital is a good way to avoid problems with the state because the state always needs people with human capital right so if the state does turn nasty or nastier you want to have as much human capital as possible so that you're a value right like if if the farmer is going to cull the herd you want to be the person with the most milk who's producing the most milk right because <laughs> then he's not going to right. get rid of you right correct right well the one major problem would be for me is actually it was very difficult leaving the system. You know what I'm saying? Like once you're part of it, you pretty much become attached to it. So I'm. You mean you I get have, attached to it? Yes. Well, right. I, yeah, exactly. So and how should I say this? It's like it's like it's a magnet. Every time you try to leave or find a way to leave, it just draws you back in. Sure. Sure. So like, how can you combat that? Like, well, don't look. Anyone... Don't combat it. My, I mean, I would suggest not combating it. Like, I mean, if your mom's on welfare, you can probably get some pretty sweet deals from the government to go to school. But wouldn't that be, you know, like I've been suggest that that's not a good idea, or it's not, it's not really, a, you know, a practical thing to do because it's wrong. No, no, no. Look, look, look. I, I'm going to tell you what I think you're doing. I think that you don't want to act, and so you're inventing all these reasons to block you. Right? I think that you're – like, you have to go with the reality. This is not a political decision for you. This is not an economic decision for you. This is not based upon your thorough assessment of what the economy is going to look like in five years or whether it's going to be easy or hard to leave the United States in five years. I guarantee you that is not your motivation. You are afraid to act. 
And my guess is if your mom's on welfare, you probably don't have a strong template for how to get things done and how to to get ahead in the world and how to take risks, right? right. And and, yeah. and I'll, right. So I'll so you don't have that template, and so your future is asking you to do something that's really uncomfortable for you that you don't want to do at an emotional level. And so you're saying, well, there are these philosophical and economic reasons why I'm not going to do these things or why these things I shouldn't do them, right? But I guarantee you it's got nothing to do with those things. And I'm not saying that philosophy is irrelevant and I'm not saying that you're not interested in truth and values and goodness. But I have given you, you know, probably four or more strong suggestions, each of which you have immediately rejected as impossible. And what that tells me is that you're very interested in saying things are impossible without evaluation, right? Look, you know I came from a horrendously poor background, right? Well, actually, uh, I didn't know much. Uh, I've only been uh, recently... Yeah, my my mom has been on welfare and disability for like a quarter century. Uh, I've been on my own funding myself for the most part since I was about 15 years old. I came from a dirt poor neighborhood. We never had a car. I took maybe three vacations in my life. Uh, we didn't have toys. Uh, uh, we, we were out of food. We got eviction notices. Uh, I joined a swim team and I, I couldn't cough up seven bucks to pay for my swim team membership. So I had to keep saying I had forgotten my money at home. Like that's the kind of poor that I grew up. And I sure as hell did not have examples of people who got things done and got ahead and made sensible decisions. So I I think I get where you're coming from. And I'm saying this is the way out and I've proven it by doing it. And you're saying to me, well, it's not possible. So if you're saying to me, me of all people, right, who's, you know, been where you are or maybe even in a worse place. So I'm saying to you, this is how you can get out. And you're saying to me, no. But I know it's not no because I've done it. And I did it when there were recessions and banking collapses and national debts and all these sorts of problems. I'm not, I'm not trying to sort of pump myself up here. But what I am saying is that there's considerable evidence that what you're avoiding is the panic or the anxiety of stepping into an unfamiliar realm called personal initiative, ambition, and achievement, right? Yes, I, w- I would agree with that. Right. So there's n- I've never held the position that taking student loans is immoral or student grants. I've never held that position. One of my, I think it was podcast 100 or 99 or something uh, where I was you know, encouraging a guy to do just that. I have not changed that in the five years since I made that that podcast. It is a state of nature. Food gets stolen from you and the government puts on a buffet. So go take some food back. The government locked you up in a bullshit indoctrination cage for 12 years of your life. So go take something back. I have no problem with that. I, I, I think it would be crazy not to. If the mafia takes your money and then throws on a free barbecue with your money, go get a fucking burger. It's not saying that the theft is okay. It's saying, that's my burger, <laughs> right? Right, just reclaiming what was taken. Right, and 
your mom has been, you know, I mean, I don't know anything about her, but the system as a whole is terrible, has been sucked into a system where she's become dependent and the government is not taking any steps to get her off the welfare rolls. In fact, they're probably taking steps to keep her on. Yeah. Right. So her initiative has been undercut, undermined and probably destroyed. So you need to think about your life, your pleasures, your preferences, your ambitions, what you want. What kind of life? Tell me, what kind of life do you want to be living when you're 30? What do you want to look – when you look around your life when you're 30? It seems like a hell of a long way away. 12 years could go pretty quickly, I'll tell you. But what do you want when you're 30? Uh, I would – Probably not like to be in debt, have my own place basically, and live in a pretty safe neighborhood in general. Calm, peaceful environment, basically. All right. Do you want to be married? Uh, No. You don't want to be married. Do you want to have kids? No. All right. So so you need some some money, uh, obviously, to live in a, a decent neighborhood, to live in a good neighborhood. Uh, I assume that you want to be doing some work that you enjoy and not, you know, flipping burgers or something, right? Yes. Right. And so um, you need to uh, avoid the fate of the people who were locked in your situation where, where if you do nothing, all you do is float downstream. And eventually there's a waterfall called you're dead and you fall, you fall over it and get smashed on the rocks, right? That's That's all that happens if you don't swim against the current, right? So. Yeah. I would say that your ambitions are fairly modest. I think that um, uh, you may want to expand your horizons a little bit. Uh, and I think that probably – like you're looking for a, a comfortable hole in, in the cave to, <laughs> to nest, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, if you're listening to this conversation, that is not going to be enough for you, in my opinion, right? What about being a force – a powerful force for good in the world? Would, would you like to do that? Sure. I mean I would – Probably be if I could be a philanthropist, I would probably take up that position as well. Well, you can be a philanthropist if you have five dollars in your pocket, right? You can be a philanthropist, a philanthropist by treating people well, by uh, standing up for the downtrodden uh, verbally, uh, by introducing people to the joys and challenges of philosophy and self knowledge. You can do all of these wonderful things if you're stone broke, right? Well, I kind of do that now at school. Like I try to explain these positions, but sometimes there are there is some opposition. Yeah, of course there's opposition. It wouldn't be any fun if there were no opposition, right? I mean, right. Uh, I, I like what Freud says. He said, uh, more enemies, more honor. <laughs> the more enemies you have as a virtuous man, the more good you're doing in the world, right? Right. Right, like if you come up with a counterfeit detection machine that doesn't work, then the counterfeiters, they don't hate you, right? Right. If you come up with a counterfeit detection machine that works over a five-mile radius and instantly pinpoints everyone, then the counterfeiters, they hate you, right? Right. That's because you've just detonated their livelihood, right? That's so correct. if you don't have any enemies, you're not doing any good. That's just the reality of, of trying to do good, uh, of trying to do good in this world. I mean, if nobody doesn't like you, you're not doing your job, <laughs> right? Because it means you're not harming any bad people's interests. Yes. So I would say that having high ambitions is a worthwhile thing because 
in my experience, and I've definitely gone both ways this way. In my experience, my friend, if you have high ambitions and you don't reach them, that is not nearly as upsetting as having low ambitions that you don't exceed but could. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. Ah, smart guy. Smart guy. Yeah, you have to have high ambitions with a brain like that. Okay. So, uh, so I yeah, work on work on what it is that you would want to do. If the world were free, if the world were perfect, what would you want to do? Focus on that, and you can. I mean, there's people here who who would like to help you. Want to chat with you? Sit down with 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 counselors. Go go to your university and talk about pe- with people about how you achieve these things. And you could explain a little bit and say, "Look, I'm kind of a wolf child when it comes to ambition. I was raised by people who weren't ambitious or who didn't achieve what they wanted. So I need some help." Don't be afraid to ask people. People really do like to help if you ask them. Uh, don't try and pretend that you aren't deficient in certain kinds of knowledge. I made that mistake for a long time, and it was not good for me. So I'm trying to pass that hard one piece of wisdom. Right. If you if you don't speak the language, don't pretend that you do because you just bewilder and freak everyone out. Right. So, uh, you know, you need some help probably in defining and achieving your ambitions. Uh, Again, I think therapists are great with that. Life coaches are great with that. Uh, Obviously, finances are tough, but uh, you can get lots of help for free by just going to tour a college campus and sit down with uh, uh, someone. Professors have open hours, right? I mean, just look them up on the web. Just go to their office, knock on the door and say, listen, uh, I'm a kid from the welfare sticks. Uh, I'd really want to become an engineer. Can you tell me a little bit about what I need to do and and how I need to do it? People will be happy to give you 10, 20 minutes, which can make the difference between a year or two wasted or used. So, uh, you know, go and ask the people who've done it. Uh, and then don't tell them that it's impossible because the government runs the fiat currency because <laughs> that's not, I think, being realistic about where the obstacles are for you. Okay. Um, well, there were, this – I don't know if this is really a problem or not, but since I am the oldest child, I've been, you know, been told that once I do get older and become success, successful, I have to – help my family but i can't even help myself so how do i like do i just not care for now or look if you if you want to if you want to help your family when you get older then you can do that you don't have to you're certainly not obligated to but i i kind of see that as a barrier for me from being successful because the amount of time it takes you know helping them and then managing my own time so it kind of gets difficult for me like i have that problem now well let me ask you I, this uh, th- uh, there are there are people older than you in your extended family uh yes and how much are they helping you at the moment well it's kind of complicated because there was a you know, split so they don't no no i i understand other. that i understand that i'm just asking you the question i mean sorry i shouldn't say i understand that I'm just asking how much are they actually practically – forget all of the – right? But how much practically are they helping you at the moment? Um, There's about – this is one person. One person who's helping and how is he or she helping? Um, like, you know, giving me advice and things like that. 
Okay, good. So, uh, so then when you get older, and I think this is a good thing to do to people, uh, for people, uh, when you get older, you can, uh, you can give people advice and you can help them out that way. And that's actually the most valuable thing uh, that you can give somebody is, is wisdom. Uh, money uh, is not a valuable thing to give, except when donating to FDR, <laughs> right? Yeah. Service or whatever, right? But, but money is not that valuable a gift to give to somebody. Uh, right. It, it, it doesn't actually help them. Uh, money problems are certainly never solved by money. Um, so, uh, yeah, then give them, give them your help and your advice and your wisdom, uh, when you get, I think that would be a useful thing to give. And, uh, I think it would be a helpful thing to provide to, to other people. So I don't think that's a huge barrier, is it? I mean, I'm sure you would be, you know, you'd, you'd like to have that, that kind of authority and, and help people that way if they, if they deserved it. Right. Right. Correct. But I mean, if you're well, concerned about like, okay, so the moment I get money, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have 600 family vultures come in and pick my bank account clean. Well, then you just have to say no to that, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, you just, you, I mean, you just have to say no to that. Uh, e- even if you want to desperately say yes to it, you have to say no to it because it is, uh, it is unhealthy to enable that kind of behavior in others. Right? I mean, uh, uh, parasitism is uh, is like alcoholism, right? You you don't give parasites money, and you don't give alcoholics a drink. You can give them help, you can suggest a good therapist, you can listen, but you don't you don't give them the money. I mean, there are times I think where financial generosity can be helpful, right? I've borrowed money yeah. from friends in my life. I've lent money to people uh, in my life. Um, uh, just because they hit in a certain cash and then they pay me back a couple of weeks later. And, and that's, you know, I think that's perfectly fine. But uh, it's, uh, it's definitely not uh, you know, just giving money to people um, uh, because they have money problems. Is, is a, it's just a bad idea. It's a really bad idea. And it's very bad for families and, uh, and friends. All right. Well, um, let's for also, I would like to add that, uh, oh, I forgot what I was going to ask. <laughs> no problem. Well, well, what if someone had like a psychological problem, which prevented them from, you know, getting better? Well, like what? This is uh, like a mental problem. But like what? Um, let's see, like like stress like huge amounts of stress well like give me an example i mean i can't answer that in the abstract oh sorry uh, sorry like like say schizophrenia or something like that uh is that the case in your family yes all right well um again i'm no expert right i'm certainly not qualified but um you might want to check out some of the um stuff that's on the net, that there appears to be some significant ways that uh, schizophrenia can be treated even outside of the drug. There are some talk therapies that seem to be having some effect. And you can look up uh, Siegel, S-I-E-G-L-E, for some of that. Uh, And I think you can also look up uh, Daniel Mackler, M-A-C-K-L-E-R, Greg Siegel, S-I-E-G-L-E. And uh, they have, uh, I think I did a a talk with Greg Siegel um, and you can look for that on the website. Uh, they may be able to help with that. I think that if it is something where there, you know, that there's no particular cure, then well, 
um, you're paying a lot of taxes and the government helps out with this kind of stuff. Uh, and so I wouldn't double tax myself uh, if that were uh, if that were possible. But is this a uh, a sibling? No, a parent. Oh, so a parent who has uh, schizophrenia. Yeah, my mom. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Okay, well that that changes some of the equation around ambition and so on. Um, that is uh, that is a great challenge. Um, what I would do in uh, your situation is uh, I would try and find societies or support groups around who uh, have had this kind of uh, uh, issue or this kind of problem. And uh, that, that, that having been said, I mean, it may be, it may be that you can help her, uh, but it also may be that other people might want to step up and do more helping because if you've dealt with a schizophrenic mother for most of your childhood, then you might be kind of out of benevolence juice, <laughs> so to speak, right? Well, because yeah, it's, I, it's a real strain, right? Yes, it can, it can be very frustrating. Oh, my God, I completely understand that. I mean, I really, really understand that. So it might be time, you know, you might sort of want to sit down with your extended family and say, you know, look, uh, I've been handling this for 18 years, 18 of my formative years. Uh, it's time for you all to step up and uh, and take over a little bit here because uh, I've got to start getting on with my life. And uh, I've been living with this woman for this long and it's been exhausting and debilitating and, and stressful and so on. And so uh, you're all going to have to step up. Uh, and if they well, don't I, do it, then you I, have to talk more to social services and, and get them involved and so on from the government. Well, act, actually, all of that's already been done like, before I made this call. Oh, I've good. For oh, good. Three, four years, but it hasn't gone anywhere. What? You mean the government won't help? Well, they tried. It's just been like there's been some, you know, conflict. And so it just all broke apart. You mean your mom won't accept any treatment? Yes. Right. Or any help from anyone else. Like, literally no one. And has she received a formal diagnosis of schizophrenia? Yes. And when was that done? Mm, 2007, I believe. Right, right. Yeah, look, I mean, that's a that's a tough call. I mean, no, no one can tell you what to do, obviously, in, in this kind of situation. Um I mean, my mother is certainly not the most mentally stable and healthy of individuals. Um, so if she, won't, if she won't accept help, then you, you have a choice to make. I mean, you have a choice to make, and it, it, it is an absolutely terrible thing that you have this choice to make. It, it, really, is, it really is terrible. Um, when did you, just out of curiosity, when did your mom start to exhibit these symptoms? Uh, 2004, 2005, it was, she, it was just minor and then it just gotten worse as time progressed. Right. Right. And, um, so she's not accepting any, any help. Uh, is she able to function on her own? It's the lack of trust with people. This is sort of paranoid, is that what you mean? Right. Yes. Yes. Right. Is she able to function uh, on her own? In mm, a basic level, yes, but can't right, so she's not going to death or whatever, right? No, right, right. And obviously, she's not going to take any meds, right? Because she feels that no. the doctors are going to poison her or whatever. Absolutely not. Yes, yeah. Right, 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 right. Oh, it's all too familiar. Um, yeah, look, I mean, I, I can only tell you the decision that I've made. Uh, just, just, 
I can't say that this decision is right for everyone because this is not a moral issue, right? This isn't, you know, should you go strangle the homeless guy, right? I mean, this isn't a moral issue. Um, the decision that I made was I strove as hard as humanly possible to get help from my mom. And I got her significant help. And she rejected it all. And, yeah, exactly. right. And I then began to examine within my own heart and in my interactions with my mother, do we actually have a relationship? In other words, does she recognize my existence, my preferences, my needs, my identity at all? Now, yeah. in my experience, this was no. There was no. If I conformed, everything was okay. If I had any perspectives or opinions or preferences which conflicted with my mother's immediate desires, there were huge blow-ups, explosions, abuses, and blah, blah, blah. And for myself, uh, there was nothing I could do. There was nothing that I could do. Whether I was there or whether I wasn't there was fundamentally immaterial. Because when I was there, I wasn't there. All I was doing was appeasing. All I was doing was conforming. I was not in the room when I was in the room with her. Now, in my mother's case, and I obviously don't have any proof of this. This is just the theory that I'm working with. Um, without, you know, we don't have to get into any particular details at this time, but bad things that she had done in the past to me were the root cause of what occurred to for her later in life. I think the conscience is a bitch, <laughs> right? If, uh, if you don't do the right thing. And my understanding, you know, amateur and all, hour and all is that schizophrenia tends to emerge at, uh, in the teenage years, it doesn't usually show up. Or I think it's pretty rare that it shows up later on. So maybe something else, right? So uh, for my mother, I believe it was conscience that got her. And I couldn't do anything about that for two reasons. One, I was the victim. And the victim, the only, <laughs> the only person who can forgive the abuser is the abuser and that abuse Sorry, that has to be earned through restitution, right? Forgiveness is not something that you can grant or give to someone. Forgiveness is something that must be earned, and fundamentally, it's a judgment of your own. It is not a judgment of other people, because if other people forgive you when you don't, it just drives your guilt underground. And if other people don't forgive you when you do, then they don't have the power to harm you. So forgiveness for past misdeeds is not something that can be granted, not something that can be willed. Uh, it has to be restitution. So, and again, I, I just, I just talking about my own experience here, which may give you some clarity, maybe completely immaterial to you, but I'll just finish up here. And so uh, I could not s solve my mother's tortured conscience because A, I was her victim, or at least one of them, and B, because restitution was impossible. Because there's no amount of money or or beauty, or health, or longevity, or fame that I would trade as an adult to have received the childhood that I received. There was nothing. And so restitution had become impossible, and therefore I couldn't do anything for her. And, you know, like, uh, there's a time when you're so sick from lung cancer, even a lung transplant isn't going to help you. 
and that's sort of where uh, where things were with that. So for me, uh, I uh, made the decision to uh, to not have anything more to do with her. I couldn't help her. Um, I couldn't, uh, uh, you know, resources were available to her if she wanted them. She wasn't so crazy that she didn't understand that. And uh, I couldn't have a relationship with her because I wasn't allowed to have any existence or being there. And frankly, my perspective was, look, my mother has had her life. She has made her choices. She has made her choices. She got married. She got divorced. She did what her, she did as a mother. She did what she did as an employee. She did what she did as a woman and as a human being. She made her choices. I cannot have my life undermined and destroyed or gutted by the choices that my mother made, because then I'm not then going to be free to make my own choices for better or for worse. I need to be free to make my own choices and to accept the consequences of those choices for myself. I cannot be constrained and bound because of the bad choices that somebody else made decades ago. I mean, I can choose to do that if I want, but all that means is that she's not any happier and I don't get to live. Right. So again, this is just my perspective, my opinion. Uh, it is a choice that everybody has to make based upon, uh, to me, it comes down to the moral evaluation, right? If somebody has, uh, you know, gets dementia because they just have a brain problem and dementia is not something that occurs uh, because of uh, a bad conscience, at least I don't believe so. But there are other kinds of afflictions that I believe are moral in nature. I strongly, strongly believe in the conscience. And uh, those afflictions that are moral in nature uh, cannot be solved by the victims and uh, cannot be helped by the victims. In fact, I think that being around, the victims being around the abusers actually only makes the abusers behave in a worse way. I mean, we're actually doing bad things due to any kind of happiness they have left. So I, I, you don't need to tell me, but this is just something to, to mull about in terms of your evaluation of, of your situation, whether you believe that it is a mere organic problem or whether you believe that it may be a conscience problem was foundational to my uh, my decision-making process, and it, it may be something to examine for yourself. Right. Well, um, I've been offered help by my you know, relatives, so I can, couldn't, and possibly help my mother, but... They're very, you know, could say a little bit controlling because they tend to want to plan out how I could do do certain things. But in exchange, they would offer like a place to stay and maybe a job. So I don't know, would that be a good trade off? I really can't tell you that. I mean, I I, I wish I could, um, but I, I I can't tell you whether or not you should accept that kind of help or not from your relatives. I, I do think that people lean a hell of a lot on on kids to deal with with crazy parents, uh, and I think that that children should not be required to do that. I think it's an unrealistic. I think it's easy, but I think it's completely uh, destructive to to say to children who've dealt with this kind of stuff for years or decades, uh, "Listen, you need to keep on carrying the cross." Uh, I think that uh, adults within the extended family need to step in and deal with the situation because uh, the kid is usually traumatized and exhausted from having lived with and dealt with this kind of mental illness or problem for years or decades. So I think that the extended family needs to step in and, and deal with it. So uh, that's my opinion, uh, which I hold very strongly. But uh, of course, whether you do that or not, um, whether you accept their help or not is, I don't think is something anyone, anyone can tell you. But I would say that, again, talking to a therapist would probably be a good, a good idea to, to work this stuff out. Okay, All right. And listen, uh, I, I just just before we go, I like I, 
I'm so, so sorry that, that this is, for want of a better phrase, the cross that you, you have. Uh, well, thanks for your advice. It was pretty helpful to me. I hope so. And, and you know, please try, try, try and get some help and talk to a therapist. Um, this is a, a hell of a burden to carry. And uh, it, is, it is tragic that it has happened. And it is tragic that you've had to carry this burden. And uh, I would try as much as possible not to uh, continue to carry it alone if it's at all possible. Okay. I'll, I guess I'm going to try the best I can. All right. Well, thank you so much and uh, all the best. All right. Thank you. Bye. All right. Well, I think we have time for just one or two more quick questions, but I did want to pester people for feedback on the movie idea. Oh, yes. So somebody has asked, a few Sunday sh uh, shows ago, you said that a rationally defined system of ethics like UPB was the only thing keeping you from doing certain things. If you remember what you meant, could you elaborate a little more on that? Well, sure. I mean, look, if there was no such thing as morality, I would use my not inconsiderable gifts of eloquence for personal gain, which would be, um, which would be politics, uh, or it would perhaps have been religiosity, uh, or it uh, would have been uh, a sales where I can be very compelling and convincing and all of that kind of stuff. And I wouldn't really have worried about the um, uh, moral uh, consequences of what it is that I was doing uh, any more than I worry about punishment from Zeus, right? If morality was a made-up imaginary figure like Zeus, I would no more fear the punishment of morality or conscience than I would fear a thunderbolt of Zeus. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, the, the field would be much wider uh, for me. And uh, it's not uh, accidental at all that my final work on the universal theory of ethics, universally preferable behavior, coincided with a considerable disenchantment with the business world uh, as it stood. So I think that is, um, I think that is uh, a great question. Oh, yeah. No, look, it's never going to go murder people. <laughs> I never had any temptation to murder uh, or, or become a thief or anything like that. Uh, but that's only because if you have eloquence, uh, stealing is far more efficient politically than uh, in an alleyway. So, uh, Can the black holes in the brain be cured or reversed? I would never underestimate the degree to which neuroplasticity can help the brain to heal itself. So uh, I would never, ever... Um, say, well, this or that is, is impossible for the brain to do. Uh, so much has occurred that uh, uh, has been unprecedented in, in that sort of area that uh, uh, I wouldn't underestimate that at all. So somebody said, so even without ethics, you're still not likely to veer way off course in terms of morality. Well, no, listen, if I took my skills of eloquence and argumentation to the political realm, I think I would be pretty far off base in terms of morality. Um, right? Rhetoricians have done far more damage to humanity than murderers or soldiers. All right. Well, I think we're going to end up there. And uh, thank you so much, everybody, for listening in. And uh, I really do appreciate uh, these these very generous and, and challenging questions. And uh, I hope that I am uh, uh, really providing some, some useful feedback from my own experiences and thoughts. Have yourselves an absolutely wonderful week. And uh, we will talk to you soon.